Hey, y'all, thanks for tuning in to Midnight Theology, a podcast where we talk all things Christianity, leadership, culture, and life as they relate to the Wesleyan Methodist movement or just anything else we want to talk about. I'm your host today, Larry Frank, and I am joined by Gabe Wank. Hello there. Sarah Wank. Hey, y'all. And Adam Penn from his new studio. Woo, howdy. <laughs> so put on your PJs, grab your favorite pillow, tuck yourself in for a little bedtime story. After all, it's midnight. So it has been a minute. Uh, we took, uh, as we did last year, a couple months off for uh, summertime, uh, and it's been a little while since we've been together to uh, have our uh, late night theology talks. Uh, and like it or not, summer's almost over. Um, our kids will all be packed up and back in school uh, in just a matter of days. Uh, every parent out there is counting down and looking forward to that. Uh, but for now, uh, how was your summer? What's the Midnight Theology crew been up to? Work. <laughs> nobody, nobody. Don't all talk at once. <laughs> uh, We're in I'll, trauma. I'll go well, first because I, mean, uh, uh, I I think it can be summarized in one word: work. So just it's it's not. Um, uh, for there haven't been large chunks of summer vacation for us, and so it's um, ministry. It's it's an opportunity when some of the programs and meetings are on hold to attend to other ministry matters and needs, and you know doctoral work. Uh, we've done some fun things in between. I'll let Game share that, but for the most part, um, it's been busy as real life is when you're adults and you don't get the summer off. Adulting. That's mm. <laughs> overrated. Yeah, so just a follow-up with that. We did do a quick trip to Pennsylvania to see some family. And it was to be a retirement party for my father, but it was really was a rehirement party. So, yeah, because, you know, when you're, when you're in ministry, you just don't really retire ever. Uh, it just changes. So we, we did that, celebrated a little family reunion uh, one day um, with the Wank family. And then uh, Sarah Hudson and I and the dog, uh, on our way back from Pennsylvania, we took the long way, went up to Buffalo and to Niagara Falls and enjoyed Niagara Falls. First time Hudson was there. Uh, Sarah and I had been there earlier in life. Uh, my college years were nearby, so uh, enjoyed the falls with everyone in the family. Hudson and I and mom uh, got drenched down in the um, Niagara River. Um, and more so much so than you can count. And if you've not had a Timbit, if you yes. don't know what that is, then yes. you need to drive around in the Northeast for a while so you can have some Tim Hortons. We felt the power of the falls and then the Timbits. <laughs> I, I have never had a Timbit in my life. Oh my gosh, they're I've amazing. Not, I've and never even heard of one. So, so. I got a, think, I think got of, a, I got a 50 pack and uh, put them in the freezer. <laughs> and why have these not been shared with me? Well, <laughs> I'm keeping them for myself, Larry. <laughs> She's hoarding. Being I'm selfish with her Timbits. I'm, I'm going to remember that. Oh man! So think, think like uh, Dunkin' Donut, Donut Holes, but like cakey and and better. Yeah, yeah, better, better than Dunkin' Donuts. Don't don't come at me, Dunkin'. Oh, I did get Dunkin'. to do a really quick um, uh, trip to the Bahamas, but it was what? it was work. So, sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's what you keep telling us all. I had the pleasure. <laughs> You didn't even take your husband. I know it. See, that it was work. Yeah, I had the pleasure sure. of meeting Methodists in the Bahamas and speaking at their annual conference there. 
the water, the, I didn't get in the water, if that tells you anything. Uh, it looks amazing. It was uh, wonderful to shake the dust off for a couple days. And because obviously food is a priority to me, not just Timbits, um, on the last day on the way to the airport, the sweet lady who drove me around for the, um, the time I was there, she swung by this um, a little tiny, tiny little market where this local Bahamian woman was hand making pineapple tarts and uh, it was because it's pineapple harvest and she sent me home with six pineapple tarts things think like a mini pie right and i'm i'm so dedicated to this that i'm like carrying my little plastic um like grocery bag of handmade bahamian pineapple tarts through the atlanta airport and all the way back home and into my freezer fried fried those those you did share we did share so tim will be coming mary they better be. <laughs> Just saying. And Adam, you have had a busy uh, few months there, buddy. Yeah, busy is an understatement. So the, uh, Larry mentioned I'm sitting in my new studio, and uh, that is indeed correct. I'm sitting in my new recording studio in our new parsonage in a new town. Uh, Morton, Illinois is where we're at. Uh, as of June 8th was the move date. And so uh, July 1st, I started a new appointment at Morton United Methodist Church as the associate pastor. And so as you can imagine, it's been super busy with unpacking and buying a bunch of stuff for the new house and uh, getting set up and established and settled in. And we're finally to a spot where we kind of feel like we can live and function and and breathe a little bit, which is nice uh, because the last three months pretty much have just been constant go 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 and uh super hard work so <laughs> listen uh, you're more unpacked than we are i don't i don't know how you've done that so. <laughs> well yeah well like we're we're both the type that like having to live out of boxes or not knowing where our stuff is b- drives us both crazy so we just hit it super hard like right away um so like within our first week in this new house there was not a single box left i had taken them all out to the farm and burned them so wow. yep wow. it's amazing yep but it's just more more for our own sake than anything so <laughs> and for the record the midnight theology crew is pretty happy because morton is closer significantly closer than where you were before and so there is no more than an hour and a half right between us which is really exciting yeah, yeah. or 10 minutes if you're larry and i right hey i, I get to your house in seven don't give me that 10 minutes <laughs> like yeah, like that's the most important part of the, of your move is late night bro dates to go catch movies. And- <laughs> that's right. Yeah, Larry and I just went to go see the Elvis movie the other night. So uh, it was really so good. It was we're amazing. It, it was the second time I saw it, but that's what happened the first time too. You'd already seen Top Gun Maverick. That's true. Yeah. So it was I, my I my had- second time seeing Top Gun. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. FOMO. Uh, Bromance. <laughs> yeah. It's it's Sorry. real, and and Brittany and Jess have been walking together and. Um, and uh, coming to the Tremont pool and and whatnot, so it's uh, it's great it's having you guys so so close um, for sure. Uh, that's been most of our summer is uh, hanging with pins and wanks. Uh, we've taken in some ball games and uh, uh, we did two days in a row recently. Um, uh, Brittany and the kids and I headed up to uh, Quad Cities and took in a River Bandits game with the wanks, and then the next night they came our way uh, for a Peoria Chiefs game. Um, so just lots of baseball. I think uh, softball's over for both the girls now um, this summer. Um, 
and uh, it's uh, it's been a quiet um, uh, ministry season just with uh, staff vacations and things like that. Uh, my uh, associate pastor retired June 30th, so we had uh, all of all of that with uh, with her her retirement, wishing her well, and then a new associate uh, came in. Um, so we're just um, we're settling into a new ministry routine, um, and grateful for Jackie's gifts that she brings as we get uh, started in this season of ministry together. That just looks different um, than than anything we had uh, before. So we're soaking up the last uh, few weeks of summer before um, our girls, uh, Marky and Sayla, go back to school, and Brittany will just be home with uh, with Evie. And uh, we didn't do our regular summer vacation because of new baby. Uh, we're gonna. We're going to swing one in there in, in September though. Um, and that'll be, that'll be good. So that's kind of what's keeping us going right now is, is counting down, uh, those days. Um, baby Evie, she's what now? Uh, she's four months now. And she she looks like she's nine months. No, she doesn't. No, she doesn't. She's the best. She's, she's in nine month clothes. That's That's how long, that's how long long she is. She's long. Yeah. I mean, and she's a tank. Well, I mean, no, we can, like, no. like, she's healthy. She is like, not. Tank. It's cute on a baby, though. Well, she's but, precious. Yeah, but it's no, cute she, on a baby. She's not a tank. Yeah. She is long, and she's adorable, especially poolside. Thankful for our pool days this summer. Hopefully, a few more. Yes. I mean, because just because school's back in session doesn't mean you stop like have to stop going to the swimming pool and stuff. So hopefully, well, there's no lifeguards. Hopefully, we extend summer <laughs> a little bit longer, right? Oh, goodness. Uh, so so uh, today we're going to wade into some deeper waters than we've probably waded into uh, before oh, on the podcast. And that was a really nice segue from with deep waters. That's good. Yeah. Now you ruined it. I, I did that so smooth and now you ruined it. Thanks a lot. Um, let me try that again. So we're, we're no, I'm kidding. Uh, so we're going to we're going to have a conversation about some of the real tensions uh, that our world is having as. Uh, specifically in in the church world, as we adjust to the new realities of the Supreme Court's recent decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. Um, so while we've been on summer break uh, from the podcast, on June the 24th, um, the United States Supreme Court overturned uh, the previous Supreme Court decision from January of 1973 um, and, and returned the decision on abortion rights to states. So information of that coming uh, decision had been leaked to the media a few weeks before. And ever since that leak, and then especially once that actually happened in in June, things have just been a little tense, right? Um, And let's be honest, it's about more than Roe versus Wade. Um, Our nation has been frustrated and unsettled, angry, whatever other adjective you want to throw in there. Uh, And we all are, in a lot of ways, locked into our corners uh, and ready to come out swinging. Um, So uh, we just want to talk about this today. And I want to say up front that uh, we're trying to frame this not in a historical way, not in a political way, uh, not even in a sociological way. Uh, We want to frame this in a theological way. The name of the podcast is Midnight Theology. Um, so saying at the out- outset, we are not historical experts on this. We are not law experts on this. Um, and frankly, we're not even theological experts on this. Uh, we're all still processing uh, our, our own feelings around this, what it means for the church, what it means for uh, our culture. Um, 
and it occurs to us that probably those listening are having some very similar uh, uh, feelings. So um, just at the outset, how are y'all feeling uh, with the world right now, all of the political, cultural tensions, how that plays out in, in ministry world? Um, how you feeling? Personally, I am I, coming into a new appointment. Um, it's heartbreaking to me uh, that these sorts of really high-octane conversations have played out in terms of division uh, at the smallest levels of society, including our church families, our own families, uh, even households might be divided uh, over issues like this. You know, I've had conversations with several friends who their spouse comes down in a different place than they do on some of this stuff. And that can be really tough on a marriage. Um, it can be, it can be tough on a family. It can be tough on a church. And, um, so we just, we, we need Jesus right now. Um, to, Amen. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just like, just provide us with, um, a peace and a oneness of spirit, uh, that is not of ourselves and lead us, uh, to lead us in the truth, um, which is that's a we could do an entire podcast on you know Pilate's question, truth, what is truth? Because who knows what it is in 2022. But you know, just yeah. we we need Jesus to lead us in in the makings of peace and uh, to to lead us in truth and lead us in wisdom. Um, and so uh, I'll say personally for me, I am approaching this topic. Uh, like Larry said, not as an expert, but in humility, uh, knowing that there are a lot of gaps in my own knowledge around this topic. Um, and uh, as with any of these high-octane issues, it's really important to engage them not only in humility, but also with a whole lot of compassion, too, uh, knowing that, that you, don't, you don't know everybody's story. You don't know what they've been through uh, and, and what they've had to deal with personally. And so and, and what would cause somebody, uh, somebody's fire to be lit in, in a certain way <laughs> for any of these conversations. So, yeah. Yeah. Well said, Adam. I think I'm, um, again, not just on the, the issue of Roe, but the world right now as a whole, you know, I'm sad. I'm sad and uh, weary, I think. Uh, you know, we're coming off of, well, not coming off of it, but um, we're, we were exhausted from COVID, you know, and the required adjustments and decisions and life changes and the death and uncertainty and unsettling. And then you just add, you know, you're not sort of recovered or healed, you know, from that. Life isn't sort of normal. And then you add political tensions and unrest on top of it and you add division, it creates, like Adam said, within your family or within your church. And um, it, it sort of came up with my counselor a while back, like, that there's just no safe space. You know, it, this is creating tension in church, in family, uh, in community, in the world, in your own spirit. And that's exhausting, right, to, to sort of hold it up and hold it together. And so I just sort of sense a weariness from people in general, because if it's not one battle, it's another and it's, it's a lot. It's just a lot for folks. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm with you. It's, 
just everything is such a hot button issue right now. Uh, and, and theologically, uh, the weary point for me is that the division has come not theologically necessarily, but in the allegiance to our political stances over against our theological positions um, that and I was having this conversation with somebody today. We were talking about just stuff in our culture. And I said, it's kind of, it's, it's on both sides though. We put our party lines or what we were taught politically above kingdom virtues. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's the lens we need to be seeing these issues through, not just Roe v. Wade, but all of the, the hot button issues of our time is, is where's the church in the midst of this? How is God speaking into this situation? How is God trying to bring glory to himself through this, this situation? And how can we be a part of that? Uh, and that seems to be a much more secondary conversation to what, what Democrats have to say, what Republicans have to say. And I, I'm just, I'm, I'm just weary of that whole thing all, all together. Um, you can talk historically about our country. We were never meant to be a two party system in the first place. I can also, you can also talk about the fact that I, I, I'm just, I'm getting weary of us having our allegiances backwards. And, and that's why I said at the outset, we don't want to talk about this historically or sociologically or politically. And the church keeps trying to engage in these sensitive conversations using the battle weapons of the world. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. Putting these things through the, le- through sociological lenses instead of starting with our theology. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the and, Bible and, and has what, a name for getting your allegiances backwards. <laughs> what, 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 starts with an I. I don't know what you mean, Adam. Dollar Tree. Yeah, and I just, I, I, I think that's that's a, it needs to be a moment of repentance for the church that we kind of allowed this to happen. Um, you know, that that we've, you know, whether progressive or conservative, we've, we've allowed our politics to be so married to our faith that our politics actually trump our faith. You are so right. Plus, you add to it that we are living in an, a non-Christian country kind of for the first time ever. And so we're trying to take Christian language and belief and use the weapons of culture and politics and apply, right, like Christian belief to a secular system and people who don't have those same religious beliefs where if we came at it out of um, our theology, right, instead of our politics, it might land a little bit differently. Yeah, I think it's 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 an opportunity for us to re-engage with good theological teaching. Uh, it shows a failure on the church's part to properly engage in catechesis with people and teach people what we believe, why we believe it, um, yeah. Yeah. instead of just. And, and I mean, it's it's the whole church growth movement. It's everything. I'm just weird of, of it all. It's all been about butts in the pews and how your numbers look, and not about raising up Ooh. disciples. And if we if we would have focused on raising mature disciples. Some of this division would have been avoided in the church. Uh, yeah, I'll, I, I'll preach on that on a different podcast. <laughs> Sounds like we need to take that to a Midnight Theology Season 2, Episode 7. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> I appreciate right, hearing get, all of your uh, kind of a sit rep of where you're at and how you're processing all this um, and just continuing to just, you know, I'm, I'm a... 
I was born in the mid-70s. I was born three years after uh, the Roe v. Wade decision was handed down from Man, the U.S. Supreme old. Court. <laughs> yeah, yes. I'm 46 now. I'm chomping the bit. Um, I'm, I'm, but he ran four, four, five miles on your 46th birthday? I sure dang did. <laughs> yeah. It's more than I can do, man. Sorry to uh, sidetrack you. Go on. <laughs> and I got to get ready for the seven-mile run next weekend. Uh, my goal is don't die. Um, <laughs> That's a good goal. It, it, right? I mean, it, and it's a thing. This Whatever. Let's not get sidetracked. So, I mean, Adam, you, you brought up um, that question, what is truth? Uh, that was asked to Jesus, right, by the, by the Roman representative, official, and governor. Uh, and Jesus said, uh, I am the truth and the life. I am the way, uh, the truth and the life. Um, you know, and I've come to give you life and life to the fullest. Uh, and I just, you know, we sit in a moment in time. Uh, you know, we have a hundred year span. So for me, it's 76 to maybe the 60s of the 2000s, right? That's my headstone. Um, not to get morbid, but I mean, we are talking about um, heavy stuff today. So that's, that's a heavy reality for us. And in this period of time, um, just looking back in the recent history, just right after uh, you know, World War II, Korean War, Vietnam, all the other conflicts, uh, you know, following World War I, uh, Civil War, we've just been through so much as a country uh, in just a very short period of time. And the world continues to be through so much, even now as we think of Ukraine and many other, many other places that are struggling um, for the sanctity of life, for liberty, for justice, for all of those uh, great, grand, wonderful ideas that our Constitution upholds and, and we, we promote as American citizens. Uh, but are we uh, also, as, as you were talking, Larry, recognizing our citizenship of, of heaven and understanding ourselves as baptized believers in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? How do we wrestle with, how do we live into our identity as uh, Christians in today's world, whatever country we're from, but from the country we are in and from the state of Illinois that we all live in, how do we move forward? And how do we wrestle with the current issues and topics? How do we support our government? Um, and you know, these are, these are big things that we have to wrestle with as theologians, as pastors, as individuals, as parents, uh, as someone's children and grandchildren. You know, we, we don't, we don't exist in and of ourselves and on our own. We all have families that we're connected to. Uh, everyone's wrestling with it either you know, for, experientially, from their own feelings, from the, from the roads they walked, from uh, the decisions that were made early on. Um, you know, and, and in our family, um, with Sarah and I, I've, I've tried to create a family. Uh, we have been afforded the opportunity for a family through adoption because uh, of, of a decision that a young mother made to offer life to a child uh, who became ours. Um, and in, in so many ways, he's ours, uh, though he's ours in a legal sense, but also in a heart sense, because um, he you know, has a birth mom, has a birth dad. And he's fully aware of that, um, and it's just a—it's a beautiful but very um, complicated, complex emotional reality that we all live in. And so, just to kind of give a 
a broad view of maybe where I'm at, um, there's a lot going on and there's a lot of truths that we have to try to funnel into um, our Christian understanding. Who is God and who are we as made in his image and how do we move forward to honor God? Again, but what what you're saying there is that it starts with our theology. Mm-hmm. So you, yeah. you you mentioned as baptized believers, you know, yeah. and, you know, and I, I've been doing some reading on Martin Luther lately, just because I'm a glutton for punishment. Um, <laughs> did you guys know there's a website out there called Lutheran Insults, um, and no. it's all different. It's all different insults that Martin Luther gave to somebody, and you can just click insult me, and it gives you a quote. Oh him. yes, and, no, I have been to that website. It's so great. It, anyway, um, but. <laughs> I digress. Um, it's about, uh, I, I have read and been reminded of two stories about it, starting with theology. Um, one was in dealing with his own anger uh, on, on stuff. Um, and someone gave him the reminder of his baptism. And, mm-hmm. and he wrote out and, 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 and kept it where he could see it. It said, Martin Luther, you are baptized. Act like it. Wow. So it starts with that. And then there's his... Uh, his depressive episodes were kind of famous, um, and the story goes that he was uh, he was just you know being really depressed. The Pope's after him, this, that, and the other. Um, and his wife like comes out in full funeral clothes, and he said, "What are you doing?" She said, "God's dead." And he said, "What do you mean God's dead?" Uh, and she says, "The way you're moping around here, you would think that God was dead." Wow! Wow! So he carved into his desk in Latin, "Vivit," V I V I T. He lives. Mm. what if we reframed these conversations in light of our baptism in light of the fact that he lives you know and instead of getting there later what if we started there nice so but why don't we do that right now we're going to (laughs) Um, great idea so that doesn't take away from the fact that there are there are frustrations in our world right now and even if we start from a theological place it's still um it's still tiring uh, to be in these positions. Um, and it's just the world we live in. It's the culture. Um, uh, someone, uh, might have been Sarah, alluded to you know, an unbelieving culture um, and, and trying to put those things on. Uh, we are billions of people living on the same planet with so many different opinions. There's a, you know, a pluralism, truly, uh, in living in those realities. Um, and even in its original declaration, the Roe v. Wade decision was controversial. Some saw it as a win for women, medicine, and culture. Others saw it as a devastating loss. Uh, and now we're seeing the same thing in reverse. The, the, some are considering this a major loss for women. Others are seeing it as a, uh, as a huge victory um, for, for the unborn. So let's talk about it theologically. As, as younger uh, Methodists, we've only known life with Roe. Uh, Gabe's the oldest, and he just told us that he was born just a few years after Roe. Uh, so its declaration as law was was uh, was made before any of us were born, uh, and our church, uh, we're all happen to be United Methodist, uh, has had its response to Roe uh, written in our Book of Discipline and what we call the Social Principles. Now, Social Principles uh, are the voice of the General Conference, which meets every four years. The General Conference is the only body that can speak on behalf of the whole church, um, and. Uh, most of what is written about abortion in our social principles has been there for quite some time. Uh, there's been some tweaking to it here and there. Uh, but I think we've come down on a very nuanced uh, statement. And there's a really long um, segment on it in uh, paragraph 161 of the Book of Discipline. Um, 
but we're, we're going to share a couple of uh, different highlights in uh, there, what's in the Book of Discipline. If you want to read more about that, you can look up the Book of Discipline online, find that paragraph. Um, it's out there as a PDF uh, and online. Uh, Gabe, why don't you uh, t- walk us through those social principles a little bit? Sure. Okay. This is Section K. I think it's entitled The Nurturing Community. Uh, it begins with the beginning of life. And the ending of life are the God-given boundaries of human existence. And then it goes on to say, Our belief in the sanctity of unborn human life makes us reluctant to approve abortion. But we are equally bound to respect the sacredness of the life and well-being of the mother and the unborn child. We recognize tragic conflicts of life with life that may justify abortion. And then it goes on uh, to explain that to some degree. And then uh, another highlighted section we want to bring, we cannot affirm abortion as an acceptable means of birth control, and we unconditionally reject it as a means of gender selection or eugenics. We oppose the use of late-term abortion known as dilation and extraction, partial birth abortion, and call for the end of this practice, except when the physical life of the mother is in danger and no other medical procedure is available, or in the case of severe fetal anomalies incompatible with life. Uh, We particularly encourage the church, the government, and social service agencies to support and facilitate the option of adoption. So those are some highlights from that section K in paragraph 116 of our social principles. Okay, so hearing that United Methodist nuance uh, response to abortion uh, leaves me with a couple of questions uh, that we can all weigh in on. So first, where did we get it right? Where has the church responded to this difficult and complex issue with conviction and grace? Where did we get it right? Certainly the sanctity of unborn human life. I love that we led with that, right? Yeah. I mean, if, if what does sanctity mean? Adam, I'm going to give you a go. <laughs> Put me on the spot, bro. I know. I know just, no. You guys can't see it, but Adam's eyes just popped out of his head. I don't know. I'm not Merriam-Webster. I- <laughs> uh, no, come on. You, you're always Wait, you're no, a sa- Sanctity means, I mean, to me, means uh, holiness, right? Like, so, so that it is, there is something about life in whatever stage uh, in existence that is holy. Um, that if, if we worship the God who spoke all things into being, including ourselves, um, there there is something holy about existence and life in and of itself. So when I think sanctity of life, that's kind of where my mind goes. And I don't know what the official definition of the word sanctity is, but... There you go. There's Adam Penn's take. Yeah, that's, you know, <laughs> from the theological, which is our responsibility, right? What part of what we got right was framing it out of theology first, right? Um, you know, that out of our uh, understanding of scripture, that we're created in the image of God, that life comes from God, um, things like Psalm 139, that we're knit together in our mother's womb, that he knows us, right, you know, um, as we are formed. Fearfully and wonderfully made. Yes, so there's so much of our theology that says, 
you know, life is more than the multiplication of cells. It is divine, um, and it is created through the divine, and it is a gift of God to have life. And to have led with that and to frame our response in that um, is, is it, 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 I celebrate it. I'm, it's more than just getting it right. It is, thank goodness, right, we are framing this conversation under that understanding that all life is sacred and uh, worthwhile. But then, of course, you know, we seem to have managed a nuanced response that not, that at least the world doesn't, probably doesn't know that we have. Um, and I don't know that other denominations or other um, other religions kind of would have such a nuanced response that what we're saying is that um, all life is sacred, right? And uh, the sanctity of all life, it, the unborn and the bearer of life. And we seem to have found a bit of a balance to say that this, like we were saying in the opening, that this is complex and nuanced and it's not always a one-size-fits-all response in abortion. And quite frankly, I think that's what the world hears. I think I think part of the reason that people are sort of pitting themselves in their corners is they hear religious people, you know, um, waving the banner of pro-life in all circumstance, no exception. And then, you know, we hear the reverse of that, which, um, you know, that it's the woman's choice and it, there, it isn't life yet, right? Um and that they should have the freedom to use it as freely as they want. And uh, the truth is, it's never either or, right? It is, uh, life is much more complex than that. And there are circumstances where... Go ahead, where say we, it. My favorite hey, phrase, yeah, say yeah. it. It's the, Go ahead, we say have, it. We've fallen into the tyranny of the or, right? When this is the beauty oh of the both and. That um, yeah. it is both the sanctity of the unborn life and the sanctity of the life bearer. Um. Yeah, uh, before I get into more, you guys keep going. What else did we get right? I, I'm with you. I think we got that right because what I what I don't hear politically in this argument from, from either side, I think those that are waving the pro-life banner um, care deeply about the life of, of the unborn. I don't hear a lot about the sacred worth of mothers and, 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 and women in that and how we care for mothers in, in, in rough situations after birth. Uh, and on the pro-choice side, you hear almost nothing about the value of unborn life. So I love that we led there. It's it's the, that there are natural boundaries to human existence. Um, well, and that's the issue, I think, is we start to kind of pick each word apart. And we can agree on the sanctity of unborn human life. But then we start to try to decipher, well, when does life begin? And right. there was, you know, on, on the Supreme Court floor, there's there's that argument, you know, we've had that. And so we, we, we start to really twist things when we start to understand what's the intention of the words that were used mm -hmm. both in the Constitution or in our social principles uh, along the way. And that's where we get into deep, murky waters. Well, well listen, right, the life begins in the heart and mind of God. Yes. Full stop. Full stop. Full stop. Full stop. Oh, shoot. So where, where I was going was, you know, we have a, what we got right here is the both and. Our belief in the sanctity of unborn human life makes us reluctant to approve abortion, but we are equally bound to respect the sacredness of the life and well-being of the mother and the unborn child. Uh, and I don't know if any of you addressed this the Sunday after Roe v. Wade. Um, I just felt a heaviness in the room 
I felt like I had to say something about it. And what I said to my congregation is essentially what we're talking about here. I'm not a I'm not a politician, so I'm not going to try to do that. I don't have all the intricacies of the histor the historicity of this. I am going to frame this theologically. And here's what I have learned to be true. Over 50% of women who have abortions, this was just recently published, are pro- are from Protestant or yep. evangelical churches. Yep. And yep. one of the top reasons they gave for choosing an abortion was that their church made them feel shame mm. for having a child out of wedlock. What's that tell me? If we've been waving the pro-life banner, we have not been caring about the life of the mothers and just heaping shame. What if, what if, in a both-and kind of approach, we loved on women to the point that the idea of an abortion became unthinkable? Yeah. Because they knew there was going to be so much support from their from their church. We have work to do. We have repentance to do. And I think we'll get more into this a little bit later, but like, yeah, one of the failures is that we have not created a safe space to walk alongside women in these complex situations. So uh, just some of our story, because you guys know uh, both about uh, our recent loss in Bristol, uh, but also um, that we navigated three miscarriages um, about, we had about eight years of miscarriage and infertility that led to the adoption of Hudson. Part of what got me through that very painful season was a group of women um, who were navigating the same thing, hoping to be pregnant, um, miscarrying babies. And uh, when that happens, one of the complexities of abortion is we think of it in terms of elective abortion, uh, unwanted babies as the youth of use of birth control. Um, and the reality is one in four women have had an abortion, and most of those are not unwanted pregnancies used as birth control. More than likely, it was a medical situation or the death of the child through miscarriage that caused the need for the medical procedure to clear the uterus and um, so that it didn't cause infection in the woman and harm her life. So most of the women in that group, um, if you read their medical files, mine included, and I want you to hear this very carefully, <laughs> closely, uh, say a border or my file says habitual aborter across the top. Medically speaking, that means I've had three miscarriages. Now, my miscarriages happened naturally, and I didn't have to have the medical procedure required of abortion. But the medical community um, calls the end of life, the end of pregnancy, abortion. Many women that I have walked very closely with have had to make very painful decisions. The child inside them died and their body didn't do the proper work of expelling the child, and so they have to have what is medically known as an abortion. I've known women whose children were suffering inside their womb and um, would not, uh, as our discipline says, would not be able to sustain life or was incompatible with life, and they had to make the difficult decision uh, to abort the child. And these were painful decisions that um, still in many ways haunt them, although they also give them deep peace because they made a loving decision um, to care for their child in utero. So I think there's a misconception and part of what we've gotten right is we have created this as a, or we've created our statement to recognize some of those complexities um, where the political world, the media world is just shouting from its corners, like there should be no exceptions, 
and they've not had to hold the hands of these women or walk through it with them. And I think so. a good number of those women are not believing. Uh, they're not people of faith. If they are people of faith, they are deeply frustrated with the church's response because all they hear is pro-life, pro-life, pro-life in any circumstance. Now, there's also a lot of misinformation, right, in the world right now, too, that like the overturn of Roe v. Wade means that there are no exceptions, and that's not true. Many of the states that have ratified their response to Roe v. Wade have all included um, the medical intervention that is necessary in times of these complex issues, but we get just shouting at each other instead of seeing this as people, right? That every person who has an abortion is a child of God. You know, every person who has had to walk through that, um, God cares deeply about what they're walking through. And um, I love that our part of our response sees those complexities. And, and I'll just sort of end my part by saying that uh, this is a deeply ethical issue that we have never been able to solve. We've all had to sit through ethics classes as part of our ministry uh, training. And, you know, you'll get those ethical situations where you say, like, there's 20 people on a train car and they're hurling down a train track, right? And, um, you know, you can throw the switch to save their lives, but it will cost the lives of these other people. You know, how do you determine which person to save and which person to keep? And there are never clear answers to those things. I remember getting very mad at my ethics professor <laughs> saying, uh, Dr. Christine Pohl, if you're listening, <laughs> just going, God, I love Dr. <laughs> Pohl. Just going, Dr. Pohl, what's the answer? Like, what's the answer? Do you do you flip the switch on, this, on the train car and save the 20 people? Or do you let the train car run into the school where it kills 30 children? Like, what do you do? And she's like, the, there usually isn't an answer. The answer is goodness. Yeah. That's well, the answer she'd give you. Yeah. yeah right. So, well, so let, 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 go, go ahead, ahead Larry. Sorry. <laughs> well, just Sarah. Sarah got right up to a very, uh, a very solid line, a boundary line, a defining foundational line to what was happening in hearts and minds in the late '60s, early '70s, when this whole movement came into being. And part of the thought process at the time, and I'm not going to go deep, just a very quick because I, I wasn't there. Um, but from what I can gather, it was what you were talking about, Sarah. It was that I that ethical issue of how does this, is this something that is necessarily needing to be legal on a federal level? And part of the argument was the greater good of humanity. That was part of the argument that led to Roe v. Wade becoming uh, a legal thing, a sacrificing for the greater good of humanity by allowing the legality of that event. Yeah, you know, you'll hear it quoted in some of the political response, right? Like back alley abortions and women dying of uh, having to find illegal ways to uh, to have the procedure. And, you know, I think we would all say that the intention was to prevent some of that in, in order to protect some human life. and. And part of what we've gotten right in our response that we did not read for you is that it says churches should be very involved in supporting programs and ministries through the government or through the community um, that help with um, uh, people in an, in, a situ in a difficult situation and recognizing that there is needed change, right, needed help and assistance uh, that the church could help with. 
Yeah, if you if you want to read the full statement, you can find the whole thing online. If you just Google paragraph 161 of the Book of Discipline, it should allow you to read the whole text online if you're interested in doing that. And, and if you're ever having a hard time falling asleep, you can read any other part <laughs> of the Book of Discipline. Um, uh, what, what you said, Sarah, I brought up a couple things for me. Um, one, I don't think a lot of people know that the, the medical procedures that are termed abortion. Uh, I was ignorant of that fact. Um, in between Marky and Sayla, uh, we had a miscarriage um, and had Brittany had to have the procedure to, mm-hmm. to clear, clear the uterus. Um, and it was a heart wrenching enough situation for us um, as it was. And then to get a bill for an abortion. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was, that was a, I mean, but that is in a technical sense what she had. Yes. Mm. Yes. The, you know, our, the, 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 our child's heart had stopped beating, but the, the process of removing the baby is an abortion. The pregnancy was terminated electively because yes. she could have waited to allow this to happen naturally. Um, you know, so that, I mean, that was a, a you know, another gut blow moment. Uh, for us and it was to get a bill for an abortion and then uh, Sayla had some soft markers for Down syndrome that we had to go and get investigated and I remember the nurse very sensitively um, thankfully trying to ask Brittany about her abortion because she didn't want to assume that it was a medical thing and didn't want to hurt her if it was an elective thing Um, whatever so that's uh, that's part of it that I I don't think a, a lot of people have uh, paid attention to. Um, yeah, we've written a story that, uh, it, you know, whether that's politics or, you know how when you don't know something, you make it the worst case scenario? Uh, but I think Christians have walked around saying, oh, this is just an unwanted pregnancy situation that people use for birth control. And um, and again, our response has handled it so well because we're saying, no, that's not appropriate. Um, but they don't understand that my community of people get literally afraid. I don't know how else to explain it. They become afraid for their lives and for what's in front of them because they don't hear uh, people in a pro-life community talking about their hard, real-life situations of saying, do I risk my life, right? Um, and I have children at home because I'm going to get you know, um, an infection because the child has died and um, I have to have an elective abortion to, to clear it from my body. And if that is illegal, if I can't do that, then I'm risking my life and my health, which may put my family at risk. And they don't hear people speaking to the nuances of um, the very painful choices um, that are involved. And, and, I, and I, I think that's the way that media twists it and stuff. And I, I think we've failed to nuance it the opposite way, too. Yeah. That when, when we're screaming, my body, my choice, uh, things like that. We're forgetting about women who desperately want to have a child. Yes, and yes. can't, and the harm that that inflicts on them to hear. Yeah, you know that it, it's it's a both and um, thing. One other thing I think before we move on to what we got wrong that I think we got right, uh, and it's something we almost we we don't really talk about in this um, this. Uh, conversation uh, we said in the social principles we unconditionally reject it abortion as a mean of means of gender selection or eugenics mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I the the i think it's sweden has almost completely eliminated down syndrome wow. um 
through 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 abortion. There, there's yeah. an early test. Uh, don't quote me on it 100 that it was Sweden, whatever. Um, but we have a word for that. It's Holocaust. Mm-hmm. Eugenics. It's, it's 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 genocide of a of a complete group of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think it's it, it is it is right for the church to stand up. It's, and I love that we took such a hard line stance on gender selection and eugenics in this, because those are people that are unequivocally loved and cherished by God. And every person that I know that has a, a child or family member with Down syndrome talks about the joy that they bring into their lives. Mm-hmm. And because of an anomaly, yeah. uh, we're, we're trying to eliminate an entire people group. Uh, I think it was Iceland. Iceland, I believe, is what who you were trying to refer as far as eradicating uh, somewhere Down over that syndrome way. birth. No, somewhere in the colder portions of Europe. Yeah, yeah, somewhere over there. Um, so I, I think we got that that right. De- Denmark yes. as well. Yeah, it, it's we've we've seemed to have stricken a balance. Struck a struck. A, I don't know what the word is uh, between um, struck the divinity and the glory of God revealed in human nature. Uh, mashed up, right, with the brokenness of a fallen um, world, and yeah. that we have to walk that road all the time. Now, I, I think what's said behind this that maybe we should articulate for a second is that unique to the Wesleyan Methodist movement um, is a pursuit of holiness. Um, yeah. For us, right, there is an understanding that there is a particular way that God wants us to live in relationship with him and with one another. And that holiness should be at the top of our list, you know, as part of, we say frame it, you know, we need to frame everything through our theology. Well, holiness is in in an upper section of that, which means that as Wesleyan Methodists, we have high standards around sexual ethics, right? And uh, uh, family dynamics and um, how we pursue uh, God and live out life. And so there are, there are things that maybe other people wouldn't understand about our theology in handling human life or um, sex or um, relationship with one another that for us are driven through the lens of holiness, uh, that God wants us to live in that pursuit of holiness whenever possible, and it drives our decisions. So the thought of abortion as unwanted pregnancy is a hard idea for Methodists because Oh, we believe that there is a best in mind for us and that God, you know, holds uh, having children, right, in special relationship in that of a, a marriage covenant before God. And so it, it then is obviously a hard leap, right, to say there would be sort of unwanted pregnancy in which abortion applies. So that filter of, of the pursuit of holiness for me drives so much about our faith and how it's lived out in the world, not settling for something that just is okay, but holds Say us that. to an ideal of who God would want us to be in his kingdom. Mm. Well, that yeah. a, uh, Go ahead, Adam. What, what you just described, Sarah, I think falls under the category of personal holiness when it yeah. comes to one's own decisions about their uh, how they treat their body uh, in relation to God. Um, but... The other aspect that I think is underemphasized, particularly in pro-life circles, is that of social holiness, yes. which is the community's responsibility to one Come another. On. Yeah. Right? 
And I think that's really where a lot of the damage has been done is we have forced this personal holiness expectation upon women, particularly to the point where they would feel shame and then not taking responsibility for one another, right? It's it's actually uh, the sin of Cain. Yeah. Uh, right. Is we, we are we are not our brother or sister's keeper. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just it's this rampant individualism uh, that is so is pervasive in our culture, um, and we do not feel accountable to one another. Um, the, where, whereas we will lift up this standard, right, and then hold people to it, and then if you don't measure up to that then good luck yes right? yeah. You, you, yeah the sin of Cain and just, just that, that, that's kind of the another foundational edge is there's sin in the world and calling sin sin what is the sin in, in this debate in this understanding and and just that sin of Cain it, it takes a man it takes a seed to fertilize an egg to make a person and then there's an, there's a personhood within a personhood as a mother carries a child whether it's intentional unintentional uh, consensual non-consensual there becomes a personhood and then there's a personhood debate that follows that and when we look at scripture and we try to figure some things out we understand you know from the very beginning of the gospel of Luke and Luke chapter 1 a few times it's mentioned about this personhood in utero, talking about John the Baptist uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb and leaping for joy uh, at the hearing of uh, the birth of Christ in, in Mary's womb. Uh, but just the prophecy uh, that was with Zechariah that th the coming child would be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born in Luke 1. 14 or 15. And then in Luke 144, it's just at the sound of the greeting reached my ears. The baby in my womb leapt for joy, says Elizabeth to Mary. This makes things more complicated when we consider two different personhoods upon the advent of conception and something growing within. And so there's the health and well-being of both personhoods in this debate that, that is the hard part for our culture to consider. But for us as, as baptized believers in the kingdom of God, it becomes the, the well-being of both. Which is what I think where, where Adam was going with social holiness is, is why that's so important is, yeah. okay, we can't just say, if you want to be pro-life, that's fine. Um, I'm not knocking that. But what's the community's responsibility after birth? Uh, I was reading an article about uh, some legislation that's in Congress right now that uh, would require DNA testing early in pregnancy, and the father would be committed to uh, financially supporting the child for 21 years, something like that. And I'm saying yes and amen. Like yes, it should not amen. be. It should not be just on the woman to have to care care for this, especially in a crisis situation. That you know, uh, so you you have a pregnancy you didn't plan for. You shouldn't be out there on your own. We're we're saying, and we get that right in our statement that we support community ministries, pr crisis pregnancy resource centers, things like that, facilitation of adoption, uh, whatever. But uh, the community. And those directly responsible taking responsibility, 
I, I'm more than okay with that. Yeah, like if, yeah. if you're a woman in a church, do you feel the comfort level to come to either your pastor or do you have friends within the church yeah. who you feel like if you're in a crisis pregnancy situation that you could you have someone that you could talk to about that, yes or no? And listen, I mean, Gabe's, Gabe's quotation of those scriptures, all I can think is how Mary and Elizabeth were unwelcome in their community because of their reproductive situations, right? Elizabeth experiencing incredible uh, judgment and shame for not being able to carry children and Mary for being an, you know, an adulterer as, as people would have seen her. And, um, you know, so I think you were getting at earlier, Larry, that the next question to this, the follow-up is what did we get wrong, right? This, this statement got a lot right, which we have said in the sacredness of life, that life begins in the heart and mind of God, that you know, we, we don't want to use abortion in these inappropriate ways. But there's the failure, I think, is what you've mentioned, Adam, is that we've written statements about how the church must, must be, you know, and work with the community to help with things like crisis pregnancy and adoption and medical care and all the things that are necessary. And I, I'll tell you this, all of my connections and friends that are angry and frustrated with people of faith their, store, their tone would change immediately if they heard Christians saying uh, women should, you know, be insured immediately upon their pregnancy and cover them, you know, through it. That um, they should be guaranteed uh, maternity leave that would allow them time to care for their yes. children uh, with pay, right? Like not without pay. And I know this will push other buttons of um, socialism for some, but they're not wrong in saying that if we're going to draw a hard line in where um, there's a right and a wrong, then we have to provide a way through that crisis and a way through the problem, right? Otherwise, it is the sin of Cain, just as you've mentioned, that like we're, we're pointing the finger and saying that's wrong, but we're not lending a hand to help people through it. And they are just as angry that they don't hear the church petitioning for those things as much as they hear them declaring pro-life, pro-life. So let me let me tell a story about a time that uh, a church got it right in in the midst of this with what we're talking about. Um, a former bishop in the United Methodist Church who's now gone on to glory, um, when he was still serving as a pastor, um, his daughter got pregnant outside of marriage. Mm. And he immediately thought, this is it. This is the end of my ministry. Um, and except that's not what happened. Mm. The The church came around her. They threw her a baby shower like they would any other mother in the church. All the new babies in the in the church got these handmade uh, quilts delivered to mom and dad at the hospital. And he thought, well, there's no way that's going to happen. Guess what happened? Mm. The quilt the quilt showed up just like anyone else. That, that didn't mean that they had to trade any of their principles as a church regarding God's intention for marriage and, uh, you know, uh, family, things like that. But they loved someone in the midst of their situation. Yeah. That's where we're, that's where we're at our best. Yes. I, I just fear that, that the narrative that's out there is so contrary to that because everybody, both sides, have just drawn such hard lines in the sand. Yeah. Uh, and, and here I stand, I can do no other. And listen, if we're going to say that life begins in the heart and mind of God and that the unborn have value in human life, then once that life is here, then it becomes our communal responsibility to care for that life with love and grace. And that church did that for that young woman. But well, you hear these... It's, it, 
you hear horror stories of the opposite, right? Uh, women being uh, drug out in front of the church to confess their sin publicly, um, mm. and then the church shunning them and leaving them on their own. Like, that is a sin we will be held accountable for, or should be. One, 100% should be. I mean, and it's part of our baptismal vows, right? It's one of the reasons why, like, I have Catholic family and they'll have private baptisms. We don't do that. Yeah. Uh, we baptize in community because the congregation bears responsibility in the spiritual upbringing of the child in front of them. You know, like, we recognize that need for community and that the family of God is just as influential as your as your biological family um, in, in that way. I mean, so... We, we just have to put our liturgy to work Yes, in that. Yeah. We've said so, a lot, but we're not doing it. And I, both right. in uh, the shame for like unwed mothers. Here's one I've never, ever, ever heard a pastor talk about is how are we providing ministry to women who've had abortions? Um, you know, I mean, they some of these women will walk with this as a, a very unique grief for decades and it is hidden in secret, it's unspoken, and there's no room for healing or redemption. When the church could certainly open the door for healing and redemption for them. Um, but instead, we let them sort of keep it quietly in the corner. It's sort of like how decades ago, you couldn't admit to being an alcoholic in the church because it was shameful. We've shifted that a little bit with things like Celebrate Recovery, where we allow... Um, room for confession so that redemption can work in it and we're not willing at this point to do the same with abortion it would be a very uncomfortable uh, thing for someone to own in a inside a church but like we do grief share right we help people through all sorts of grief why would we not help them through that grief you know um and so we're not serving the women on the other side of abortion whether that was can you imagine the the questions and struggles these women walk around with, I'm not talking just about the unwanted pregnancy situation, but the mother who very much wanted the child, but the child um, couldn't sustain life and she had to receive that bill that said abortion. Like, we should be ministering to them, but instead it's it's secret, right? Yeah. So in, in a previous appointment, I had, um, I had a woman who, had had an abortion 30 some years before an elective abortion because of a stupid mistake in college. Um, and she saw that as her only way out as a 19 year old girl, the decision haunted her. Mm -hmm. And yes. when she finally got to the point of confessing it, the church she was attending told her that she could not receive God's forgiveness Ooh. for taking that child's life. Uh, wow. We're getting it wrong. So wrong. Yes so wrong we're getting what and, and and she so she had already had this immense amount of guilt on her soul and when she sought the forgiveness of christ she was told that she was being denied that forgiveness listen yeah. we need to do uh, a whole other episode on the abuses of the church and you know oh, and, and that is that is that's one a whole of season those, yeah that's how, a season. how the church has done more harm than good in some situations um but um i i trust I have to trust that the Lord will hold those folks accountable who, who share such judgment that is such the opposite of God's love and forgiveness. 
Yeah. Well, just just uh, maybe to wrap kind of that hard piece up, um, you know, we, we remember the Apostle Paul writing much of the New Testament and sharing um, his heart and God speaking in and through him with his life. And he himself... Uh, going after uh, the people of the way and putting them to death and seeking to do more damage. And Jesus meets him on that road to Damascus. He writes a letter to the Galatians and in that opening chapter says these words in in verse 15, God set me apart from my mother's woman, called me by his grace. And Paul recognizing his own decisions in life to harm others, but yet finding that grace and that space in, 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 in the arms of God, in the, in, the, in the very presence of Jesus, to recognize in his own life, even though by his hands or by his words, others were harmed, uh, he still found grace and forgiveness. Um, you know, the murderer on the cross who came with Jesus into glory that very day. Um, so no matter what has been done, uh, there is forgiveness, and the church needs to figure out continually how to offer it, how to live within it, and how to love one another. Yeah, it's part of what makes us uniquely Wesleyan, right, is our leading in grace and forgiveness. And there are moments when we, we fall away from that, right, and, and we let judgment lead. Um, but it's one of the things that makes me very proud to be uh, Methodist is uh, you know, forgiveness and grace for all of us. Yeah, and you know, and that's where we're at. But it doesn't it doesn't change the tension we're feeling as a culture. Um, it doesn't change the tension that exists in many churches around this and other sensitive issues, because um, it just kind of comes from the extremism of the culture we live in. Um, what seems to be people shouting one perspective from their corner, frustrated that other people aren't listening. Uh, there's just other people shouting from the opposite corner. Um, and you've heard me say it before. We joked about it earlier. I'm just much more of a both and guy than that. Uh, I think we have, we're living in a culture that has submitted itself to the tyranny of the, or it has mm-hmm. to be this or that mm-hmm. there's a genius to the end that, that we can, we can love and believe in the sanctity of unborn life while still loving and supporting women. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just, we're having a hard time getting to that both and place with that. Um, but if we can, that helps us in mutual connection and compassion and understanding. Uh, and it's going to take all sorts of compassion and understanding to be church in a, in a post-row world. Um, mm. All of us have, hopefully, God willing, years ahead of us in ministry. Um, and this, this and other sensitive issues aren't going anywhere. Mm. Um, so just if you could in like a one sentence, what do you think the church will have to do to respond in a post-war, post-row, ever-changing culture? What do people need from the church right now? What can the church intentionally offer? Where does this whole thing start? But just a brief snippet. Embodying Christ-centered community. Yeah. You, you thought you, I could see the wheels thinking you were thinking about getting that one sentence to the strike. Yeah. If I had, yeah, if I had to put it in one phrase, yeah. Em- embodying Christ centered community because community is the antidote to the rampant individualism that we're seeing in our culture right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dang son. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Gabe, you were going to go. Um, uh, 
Did he just blow your no, mind? But Adam, I, no, no, he took it to the next level. I think all I could say after that is a footnote. Um, and it because a Christ-centered community is just in, living in obedience and submission to the will of God, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, and recognizing our frail, broken human, our humanity, our human state in need of grace, and uh, receiving and offering that which is uh, taken in forgiveness. That was like five think- sentences. I'm just saying. I'm going to give a sentence and then I'm going to explain it a little bit. Uh, so my sentence is that repentance leads to awakening. Mm. Um, and if the church wants to be at the forefront of this and other sensitive issues, doing ministry with uh, on, on behalf of the unborn, on behalf of, of, of children and on behalf of women, we need to repent of the way that we've handled this yes, and amen. Um, in, in the, in the past. Um, and start from that place of, of of grace and love and compassion, and that repentance before God will lead to the awakening that we're seeking. Hmm. I yes. think the only addition I would make, because those are like yes and amen to all of them, is um, I hope and pray the church will do something to prove our desire for a better place that we will get involved and advocate um, as people who pursue adoption, right, and foster care and uh, work in our medical system and um, against things like sexual abuse and the things that are the roots and the evils behind the problems. And so that we're not just shouting at an empty space, but instead we're changing the groundwork of what's underneath it. Improving um, our, yeah, putting our money where our mouth is. When we say we love people and we want to bring God's kingdom on earth, and you know that there's there are other options, then we prove that with what we do. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, normally we'd uh, we'd close with a with a little fun thing together, and we usually always have fun together anyway we've laughed during this but this has been a tough conversation it's a sensitive conversation um the the tensions what it represents uh the tension that we're all navigating um it just seems like a better way for us to close is is just to say to those that are listening you're incredibly loved by god Uh, no matter no matter where you're at on this issue no matter what your past is uh in that you are a child of god and a person of worth um, and for the, the ways that the church has got has handled sensitive situations like this and others wrong, um, we're sorry. Um, and as, as pastors who represent the church, uh, we're pledging ourselves to do better uh, in that. And we just want you to know that, that you're loved uh, incredibly by God and nothing can change your, uh, your worth. Um, and so just thanks for listening along with us as we talk about this. It's a tough thing for us to process. It's probably a hard thing to listen to, but it just seems like uh, it's something we needed to address at this particular cultural moment. Um, and in all things grace, right? If we have mm-hmm. said something that has uh, upset or bothered you, I hope you will assume the best and apply grace as we do our best to articulate these difficult things. Or send Larry an email. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to turn the password to the Midnight Theology email over to Adam. Uh, Maybe a closing word from Titus chapter 2, verse 13, 14. Uh, 
while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Amen. All right, so uh, join us next time. Uh, it will not be nearly as heavy as a, of a topic. Uh, we're going to talk about a great new book uh, by Jessica Legrone, who is the dean of the chapel at Asbury Theological Seminary, uh, a truly godly seminary where three of the four of us went. Um, <laughs> sorry, Adam. Wow, wow. Uh, her book is called uh, Out of Chaos, How God Makes New Things Out of the Broken Pieces of Life. Sounds like a great follow-up to what we've been talking about. Uh, in, in, a, in a world that we live in right now, uh, it sounds like this is a, a very appropriate book for the time that we live in. So don't miss, a, don't miss that conversation with us next time. Until then, thanks for joining us, on, joining us on Midnight Theology. And in a world that seems hopeless where everybody's shouting and it seems so dark, just remember... It's always darkest just before the dawn. See you next time.